Hi, and welcome to the TSW podcast, providing insight from thought leaders, success stories, and practical mental and physical tips to help you on your journey to recovery with your host, Claire Hart. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the TSW podcast. I'm your host, Claire Hart. This is episode 10 with Rachel Pontillo, who is a skincare formulation expert. So I'm really excited to bring this episode to you today. Um, I've been away for about two months, I guess. There's been a bit of a break in between the episodes, and that's mainly due to going back to work um, and wanting just to be a bit mindful about not causing myself too much stress and putting too much on myself as I kind of reintegrated back into work after having six months off with this second round, I guess, of TSW. So today I just want to give you a bit of an update on how my skin's doing, and then we will go into this amazing episode, which I hope you will all really enjoy and get lots of value out of. So I guess I'm probably a year and a half into TSW. My skin at the moment is doing really well. It's really resilient, so I can have a good old scratch and it's not breaking or oozing or bleeding quickly, which it would have done very quickly in the past. Um, and I credit getting where I am now so quickly to going to skin solace and having treatment. However, you know, I think I've still got a way to go. So I've had about 22-ish uh, treatments at the clinic and if you saw me from a distance I don't think you would think there was anything wrong with my skin however up close you know it's still very dry and flaky around my mouth like little small dry bits there's no inflammation so it doesn't look red anymore but my neck and my arms um, still get yeah, a lot of dryness so during this time that I've been kind of going back to work I've tried to be one really mindful about stress and my boss has been luckily touch word incredible about helping me with that and changing my work schedule and load. But I definitely, I'm definitely a bit naughty and I scratch when I really don't need to. So there's definitely improvements and more discipline I need to do to support my recovery. So for example, in the mornings, when you get that hormone rise in the morning, I will scratch, like I'll, I'll definitely scratch my main bit. And any kind of stress or anxiety throughout the day, I'll immediately go to scratch my arms. Apart from that, I definitely struggle with a lot of fear about TSW coming back and taking me back to the dark places that I've been. So I'm doing a lot of work around the concept of, you know, my journey is very different to anybody else's and all of our journeys are completely unique. And none of us know what someone else is doing in their own recovery. So we need to, you know, try and put up our blinkers on a little bit and know we're heading in the direction that we are heading and we're doing all of this good stuff in the background to get some discipline and maintenance so we don't have to feel fear when we see someone else's journey you know because we don't know what's happening in their lives we don't know what practical tools they're putting in place so I'm trying to as well be quite disciplined with having cold showers and cold baths which has taken me a while to get my braveness around doing but I'm getting back into running um so last year when I was really poorly I mean I did nothing I just laid on the couch and ate whatever I wanted to eat um and I've put on five five kilograms during that time so it was quite a lot of weight for me um so started started training running with my husband and when we first started I would get tons of hives we'd really struggle not to scratch 
um, and now I've implemented really nice cold showers or baths when I come back. And for some reason, I don't know whether it's my skin is getting used to sweating. So the more I'm doing it, the less itchy I'm getting. Um, I didn't have any hives today and we went out for a three hour run, which is a miracle for me, particularly in the UK, it's quite hot now. Well, I say quite hot compared to other parts of the world, it's not, but it's about 25 degrees here. So, so that's really interesting. Maybe it's my skin. Yeah, just getting used to sweating again, who knows? Um, I'm trying to be quite good with having like a vegetable juice every day. Um, and I'll do a story on that so everybody knows what the ingredients are and things such as um, a, a breakfast, which I know supports uh, not having any inflammation. The cold showers also support with um, autoimmune diseases, helping to address that. And I don't know the science behind it. I will try and dig out the research on that because I think that's really interesting. And I guess... I guess mentally, I mean, I'm, I'm in a, a very grateful, good place. Um, I was saying to a, another TSW sufferer earlier today that I had this moment of realization last week where I was painting our front door um, and then I stopped and I went and cooked dinner. But when that was cooking, I did a bit of hoovering and I sorted something out for our cat and I was organising the builders who are going to come around and do a renovation here. And I suddenly realised how many things I was juggling. And it made me reflect back on when I was really poorly, you know, going into my first counselling session. I was lying on the couch in a sleeping bag because sleeping bags, I mean, they've got that really soft material inside. So it was the only thing I could have against my skin. And I had the laptop next to me, but I was in such a state, not just physically, but really suffering with insomnia. And my skin was so bad and oozing. I couldn't bring myself to reach down and get my laptop and turn it on and open a Zoom. And I wasn't going to have my camera on, but just I felt overwhelmed by that. Um, and incapable of doing it and so my, I had to call my husband and I was in floods of tears but he did that for me and then I also had the guilt that I was putting so much on my husband but I had this this call with my my therapist but just reflecting back on like now where I am and the ability to multitask and get lots of stuff done and that was only a year ago so if you are in that really tough time. I know everybody says it, but it can feel impossible to believe it, but it does get better. And honestly, the, the gratitude never leaves me. It gives you a love for life, even the minuscule, tiniest things of life, which you'd never have thought of before as being grateful for. It gives all of that to you. So it's, yeah, mind blowing in what it gives back. So today's episode is with the fantastic Rachel Pontelow. So Rachel Pontelow is a best-selling author of the book Love Your Skin, Love Yourself. She's also a board-certified international health coach, um, a nutritional aesthetics practitioner, and also a natural skincare formulator and educator. We talk about the skincare industry, um, what to look out for, what to absolutely definitely not put on your skin, what things are going to be helpful in the very early days where your skin is incredibly compromised, what's going to help a little bit later on. Rachel does one-to-one -one 
coaching conversations, not only with TSW sufferers, but also with a, a wide range of people just wanting to improve their skin. Um, and she also does group sessions. So lots of options to think about if you really want to make sure that you are setting yourself up in the best ways possible to recover and then have long-term great skin. Rachel also has the most beautiful skin I have ever seen. She is absolutely radiant. Um, so she obviously knows her stuff. She was a real joy to talk to. There's some really impactful information. I'm not going to give it away now, but um, we talk about why you will get the burning if you put on a moisturiser, particularly those thick ones that the dermatologist recommends quite early on. What, what is happening there where it creates so much heat and you're so burning and you just want to scratch and scratch. So, so much good stuff and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I did, I learned a lot. As always, information is in the show notes um, as well as a link to Rachel herself so you can contact her if you would like one of the one-to-one sessions. And please, as always, please do subscribe so you get to know when the next episode is coming out, which I promise will not be two months <laughs> in between. Um, And I just wanted to give you the heads up. I mean, doing a podcast makes you realise how many weird little things you do when you speak. But there's one point on the show where you can just hear me heavy breathing in the background and typing. So I just want to say I'm so sorry for that. I tried to have my husband look at doing an audio fix on it, but he can't. So I'm afraid you're going to have to just bear with me being slightly Darth Vader-ish in the background. Anyway, I hope you guys are all doing well. I'm sending lots of love for your recovery. Please do reach out if you have any questions for either myself or Rachel. Um, and please do let us know any feedback. It's really greatly appreciated. All right. Lots of love um, and lots of healing vibes. And yeah, I'll speak to you soon. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us on the TSW podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So Rachel, so you're a holistic skincare formulator, educator, conscious beauty brand and marketing consultant, health skin media expert, and also a licensed aesthetician. Can you tell me a little bit about that and what, what that encompasses? Absolutely. So that's a lot of stuff, as, as you noticed. And what I do today and the training and the multiple, you know, certifications that I have obtained throughout the years really stemmed from my own skin issues and my desire to not just temporarily improve them, but actually get rid of them. So I struggled with acne from the time I was 10 to, I would say about 32 years old. And it was something that my mother tried everything, whether it was natural remedies from the garden in the kitchen or pharmaceutical medications internally or topically. We went to different types of doctors. Um, Nothing worked. There were some things that might work for a time to improve the situation, but then once that treatment would stop, the problem would come back. So it was something that affected me very deeply as skin conditions do emotionally, spiritually. It's really something that when it's with you for such a significant chunk of your life, especially during your formative years and during adolescence when, you know, teenagers can be so cruel to one another. And then even in the workforce, when I was in corporate America in my early 20s, 
it's not something that you wanted to go into a big meeting with the bosses and have them like staring at the bumps on your face. So it wasn't until um, I had left corporate America, I had my children, when my younger daughter was still a toddler, um, you know, my husband and I always agreed that I would go back to work after the kids were old enough to be in school full time. So I happened to be with a friend and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do because any of the jobs that I had in corporate America were not anything that I felt particularly passionate about. And I also felt very strongly that I wanted to be a very hands-on mom, very present for my kids. I grew up with a single mom and she worked, but she always made it so that she was available for us no matter what. And I wanted to offer that to my children as well. So I knew that corporate life was not going to offer that type of flexibility. So I was really kind of at a loss. And my friend said, well, why don't you do makeup? Because makeup is something that I actually did very well. And I had done it professionally for proms and weddings and other special occasions. Um, because, you know, when you struggle with a skin issue like acne, you sometimes tend to get very good at covering it up. And I also found a bit of an artistic outlet in the makeup artistry as well. So I wasn't sure. I said, well, I don't know. Do I need to have some kind of a license to do that legally? And she said, I don't really know. But, you know, maybe you should go to aesthetic school. That's school for basically skin therapy, giving facials, skincare advice, touching the skin and whatnot. So I said, oh, okay. So I looked into it and it was something that I could take site classes and finish in a relatively short period of time, not too much of an investment. I figured, well, maybe I'll actually learn how to heal my own skin through aesthetic school, one would think. So I went to aesthetic school and learned plenty about, you know, skin anatomy and certain skin conditions and treatment. But the knowledge was very limited in terms of ingredients and how they actually work on the skin and what causes the acne and why is it that when you stop using a product or a treatment that the acne comes back. So I really didn't find what I was looking for there, but I certainly gained a lot of education and did start to learn about different products and became curious about formulation, why do certain products do certain things on the skin, why do certain ingredients act a certain way to create these chemical reactions to produce things like gels and creams and lotions and so on. So I became really fascinated with that and I started kind of self-teaching myself that at home around that time. And then I simultaneously was going through a bit of a health reset myself. I had experienced significant weight gain after my second daughter was born. I gained about 80 pounds, and um, it was just a lot of hormonal imbalance issues, thyroid, um, prediabetes, high cholesterol. It was just a mess. So I was doing research on how to kind of like detoxify myself because in aesthetic school we learned about detox so I came across this book called the beauty detox solution and um, I like okay well I'll just read this and when I got it I was a little dismayed because it was another diet book and I had already tried a bunch of diets and nothing worked (laughs) As, as the diet culture typically does not work but this book was different it taught things about nutrition and how digestion works for some people and things that were based on some ancient theories such as like food combining and 
fermented foods, which, you know, many cultures have their own ferment version of a fermented food to introduce probiotics into one system through food. So I figured I've never tried these things before. So let's try that. And it also just really encouraged focusing primarily on plants. It's not a diet that says you can't have meat, but if you do, there's a certain time of day that is best to eat it and certain foods that are best to combine it with for optimal digestion. So I tried these things and I tried, um, you know, things like drinking lemon water and green smoothies and having a salad with every meal. And I kid you not, after one month, I was down 20 pounds and my skin was clear as a bell, cleared up to the point that when I would run out of a skincare product that contained an acne medication, it did not come back. The acne did not come back. So I knew that something internally had shifted and that whatever was causing the acne internally had been addressed. So that's when I figured, okay, more people need to know about this mm-hmm. because so many people struggle with skin issues and it's not just acne. We know now that there's a dietary component to most skin issues, not all, but most in some capacity, whether it has to do with food itself or digestion, digestive function, anything along those lines, the microbiome. So I went back to school uh, several times. <laughs> to get more information about nutrition, about lifestyle, about stress management, about things like meditation, functional nutrition, where I learned about, um, you know, certain labs that can find information that regular kind of conventional medicine doesn't even look for. Um, I learned quite a lot about the microbiome and these programs forced me also to work with clients in a practice capacity to earn those certifications. So those clients were getting significant skin results too. And not all of them had acne and they were all at different ages. Some of them had rosacea that just went away. Or if it would come back, they would know exactly what that trigger was so that they knew that if they avoided that trigger, they should not have a problem. People with situations like eczema, I was not working with anybody with TSW at that time. Um, I actually have not, I had not started working with TSW um, clients until quite recently. It wasn't something that I was aware of, but the fact is, is that I just saw how powerful it was to not only address things topically, Mm -hmm. but also really look at what you're putting into your body, what you're putting into your mind, the environment in which you live what you're surrounding yourself with, and what your lifestyle practices are. So I then was in practice, basically as kind of like a skin health coach for many, many years. And I also integrated custom skincare formulation into that because my clients would say, what should I use on my skin? And I say, well, I, you know, they give me ingredients to look at on products. I'm like, I, I wouldn't use any of this. So I just started making products for them because by that point I had gotten to be quite a good formulator. Um, So a lot of things were happening around the same time. And ultimately I really now have become a practitioner as well as an educator. I've created multiple certification programs and curricula to teach other practitioners how to help their clients in a holistic and integrative fashion, both externally with topical skincare as well as internally and with mindset issues and lifestyle environment issues. Um, I still work with clients one-on-one and I also um, work with skincare brands who are looking to create products 
that are suitable for people who have certain, you know, skin issues, more sensitive skin issues, and they're trying to, you know, really adapt or adopt a do not harm policy with their products because so many products on the market are either the wrong pH or they have synthetic fragrances or other ingredients that really could become a trigger for people who have skin issues. And as you know, issues like TSW, they're becoming more and more common because mm -hmm. it's being talked about more, right? And people who maybe have had eczema or psoriasis in the past who kind of felt ignored, they're now talking about it because there are people who are advocating for them and spreading awareness. So I really think that we're in an exciting time in this industry and in, in just skin wellness in general. And um, I really aim to support people individually, but also support brands who are trying to do better. Amazing, amazing. What a great backstory. And I love, I love the um, focus on root cause as well, because I think, yeah. I think, you know, looking back at my own history, going on steroids at such a young age, I was three years old. And actually, if there had been an investigation into, well, how has diet changed at this point? What had happened in circumstances to create a small flare up on my arm that could have solved having to go on steroids in the first place at all? And that's something that currently in Western medicine, we're not really seeing explored, right? Right. Yeah, it's just not where their focus is. It's not how they're trained. And I mean, I'll call it out. It's not how they make their money. Mm -hmm. it, they make money on medication and operation, period. So, you know, there's definitely time and place for those things. There are, you know, parts of Western medicine that save lives. Absolutely. Um, but I do think that there are so many things that can be tried first and that medications like that should not be what's tried first so i i think that it really does a disservice to people who maybe with a couple of changes in food or some stress management or looking for things in their home or work environment that might be causing inflammation or irritation and you know mitigating that if we can take care of the situation without having to go for medication wouldn't that be better for everyone except for the pharmaceutical companies but honestly i don't care about them <laughs> absolutely amazing thank you rachel and and how did you first get introduced to tsw interestingly um i i work with a couple of different colleagues where you know we have referral relationships where we'll we'll share clients um i believe you've had conversations with jennifer fugo before she's not only a colleague of mine, and she serves on the advisory board for the Nutritional Aesthetics Alliance, which I, I co-founded, um, but she's also, she lives near me and we're good friends. And she and I were doing these talks on Instagram Live and on Clubhouse for a while. And there were some people who would come into that who were talking about TSW. And she started talking about TSW in her programs and in her podcast and with her um, audience. And I had not really known much about it before that. So I started to learn more about it. And she started referring me some clients for topical skincare suggestions because she was helping them with the nutrition and with kind of like the holistic and integrative side of things that way and with the testing to see exactly what was going on. But a lot of them were really 
stuck on what to use topically and even products that were intended for sensitive skin or that were supposed to be, you know, occlusive to create kind of an extra barrier. The people were reacting to them and they didn't know what to do or they were trying things that, you know, are kind of trendy for TSW patients that were just not working for them. So I, in my formulation education, learned quite a bit about phytochemistry and herbalism and aromatherapy and different constituents that occur naturally in plants that might actually be irritant or allergenic for people. And sometimes people who have TSW are also struggling from allergies that have not been diagnosed. So she'll refer, she would refer me clients and I would look at what they were using. I would look at their history. I would look at uh, if they had had any allergy testing done. And many of them were allergic to things like nickel or they were allergic to certain families of plants, like seasonal allergies. And then I would look at some of the products they were using that contained either fragrance compounds that occurred in these plants or that it had these plants in it. But a lot of people don't necessarily know what plants are in what family. So I began to just look at what was happening here. And I said, okay, well, let's stop using finished products. And let's introduce one ingredient at a time for a cleanser, for hydration, for protection, and just do it very slowly so that if there's a reaction, if there's a flare, then we can say, okay, we're not going to use that anymore. But even if I were to create a simple blend for someone of four or five ingredients and they had a reaction, I wouldn't know which of those four or five ingredients they were reacting to. So. I really um, want to help TSW clients or patients protect their skin, but you know, also provide some sort of nourishment to the skin so that it can heal. Because even though skin cells themselves are formed internally, we know that the barrier on the outside does require a certain level of nutrition. There are there are cellular functions that happen in those epidermal layers after they have differentiated those stem cells in the deeper layers have differentiated and the cells start to like branch off and do different things. There's so many different cells that happen in those epidermal layers that when we have such a compromised barrier function and there's no hydration, there's no protection, there's dehydration, there's inflammation, those functions can't happen. So, that's really what I aim to do is to try to provide people with topical relief, but in a way that is very slow, very intentional. And I always check to see what are their allergies here? What, or even not allergies, it could just be an irritant reaction because we don't know what's going to trigger somebody. And with TSW, it's something that is such a different experience for every single person who struggles through it. So many factors affect how it's going to present, how long flares are going to last, the ups and downs of the kind of roller coaster of healing that it is. You might think you're out of the woods and you haven't had a flare for a long time. And then all of a sudden you have a flare out of nowhere. And it's something that um, has to be handled very gently and very much on an individual basis. 
That was amazing. It's so lovely talking to someone who truly understands TSW as well and has seen people go through that cadence and understands, you know, how incredibly compromised your skin is at the start that any product, any product, you know, even the ones that kind of say are prescribed by dermatologists, not necessarily with yeah. medication in them, but just as like a, a, a soothing barrier type cream can really irritate at that stage. There's very little you can yeah. actually put on your skin. So talk to me about, so if I, if I came to you as a TSW patient right at the very outset, so I'm kind of in that really inflamed awful stage, how would you approach working with me? Well, we would do a very thorough consultation and I would want to know how your skin got there. I would want to know, you know, is there a history of any other issues in addition to topical steroids? How, are there any other medications that you've taken either internally or topically? Have you had any ex experience with topical ingredients such as retinol or hydroquinone or other um, medications, even acne medications for some people can, you know, accumulate and cause problems and these things sometimes just don't play well together but certain drugs and certain ingredients can stay in a person's system for quite a long time aside from topical steroids and then if the topical steroids are introduced or if the topical steroids were introduced earlier as you were saying from childhood and the lingering effects are still there and then other substances have been applied that maybe could not play nicely with those steroids I want to know that. And, you know, it's never my job to diagnose or treat specifically. I'm not a doctor. I always have to be very clear about that. Um, but the more information I can gather, the more I can have a better understanding of what factors may be at play individually and in combination with each other. And I also really like to get an overlook of what your lifestyle is like, what your relationships are like, your work life, your stress levels. Um, your movement, things like that, because there are many things in life that can be adjusted to help create a more conducive environment for the body to be able to function better on its own so that fewer external interventions are even needed. If you just can create a stronger foundation for yourself, a stronger constitution, then change really can happen. So sometimes it's something very simple at looking at, you know, well, what happens before you go to bed at night? What, what are, what is your life like in the hours between when you eat dinner and when you go to bed? What's that routine like? What is your um, routine like when you wake up first thing in the morning? Do you wake up energized? Do you wake up happy? Just things that many people might not associate directly with the skin. And then we even talk about things like air filtration, water filtration. Have you ever had your home or work environment tested for mold exposure? Um, here in the United States, where I'm in the uh, mid-Atlantic states in the United States, Lyme disease is rampant. I'm somebody who, who actually has chronic Lyme disease, which keeps my immune system constantly firing. So exposure to things like toxic mold affect my body in a way that causes flare-ups. I actually experienced different types of skin flare-ups once I got diagnosed with that, or well, before I got diagnosed with that. But once I had that, that um, were different from anything I had ever experienced, and it made me kind of look deeper at what might be going on. 
And we also do have such an increased prevalence of autoimmune and chronic illness, and that weakens the body's immune function, including the skin's barrier function overall. So if there are things that we can do to help make someone's life less stressful and create routines that are more predictable and create scenarios of comfort, um, help people get more support, then those are things that we also look at. Um, but I also look at, you know, what are you using topically? How long have you been using it? What's worked? What hasn't worked? Um, what are you not just using for your skin, but what do you shower with? What about hair care? Do you wear perfume? Are you exposed to air fresheners? Things like that. I really just like to get a sense of what's going on. And then I kind of talk, would talk to you and figure out, well, what for you, obviously, to get, obviously the goal is to get some sort of relief with the skin and support for the skin. But on the journey to that, because that's not going to be an instant process, what are the biggest goals that, you know, we can look at that you might want to work on that can help support that bigger goal of getting relief with the skin? So we would talk and figure that out together. And, you know, I would start to then give you some suggestions. Um, I will make suggestions for what to do topically if there's something that you're using that is not prescription. If, if you're on a prescription, I'm not allowed to say anything about that. I can't say stop taking that. I can't say keep taking that. I have had clients that are on a prescription topical that is not a steroid, but some other sort of medication that I can say, okay, well, you have to use that until you and your doctor decide not to. I can't advise you at all on that. But if you are going to continue using that, here's how to do that safely in your routine. You would do this first and then this. And I teach you the order in which to apply the product so that the medication can do whatever its job is supposed to be and hopefully not interact with anything else. So I teach you, um, you know, your, your skincare routine, how to do that. And if there's any other supportive practices that might be appropriate at that time, for your skin, um, such as things like salt baths, um, acupressure, self-massage, stuff like that, that could be helpful, then we would talk about that too. And then of course, if there's any other practitioners that I feel might be beneficial for you to see, many people with TSW benefit from things like acupuncture, as well as therapy for the emotional health aspects of the condition, I will also then make those suggestions. Fantastic. Fantastic. It's interesting. Um, there's a lot, you know, obviously before TSW, um, my skin I thought was relatively okay, apart from my reoccurring eczema that I'd apply steroids to. But when you look at skincare in general, you know, there's so much information out there about tonics and cleansers and moisturizers. And I think all of us are a bit haphazard in that approach. We just take stuff thinking, okay, well, maybe this is right for us. But listening to you talk, you know, the idea of someone guiding you through what is appropriate and right for your skin and how that's going to support you. I mean, what a relief to even think that there's someone who can help you rather than just kind of hit and miss trying to guess what's right for you. That's fantastic. You're, you're absolutely right. And that's a huge problem with the beauty industry, with the cosmetics industry, is that 
you know, there's these products that are like for different types, for sensitive skin, for mature in, for this skin, for, you know, quote unquote, normal skin. Like, what does that mean? And it's really just based on that brand's definition of what that is. And you're also influenced by the packaging. Is that attractive to you? If there's advertising, are you attracted to those ads? If they have some sort of an online community, is that something that you relate to? So the reasons why people buy products and brands usually have nothing to do with what's actually in the bottle. And because we are trusting that these brands have some sort of knowledge about what their products do on the skin, you know, sometimes somebody with TSW might say, well, I have dry and sensitive skin. True. But dry and sensitive skin is not the same as TSW. Somebody with eczema has dry and sensitive skin. But the reasons for that are different. So some of the, if some of the reasons, you know, some of those ingredients, some of those products might contain other types of natural versions of anti-inflammatories, which could cause a flare for somebody with TSW because of all of that steroid hormone activity in the skin. And that would not be anything that you would think to know about. So I think that regular topical skincare products might be fine for some people, but more often than not, really, it's better to have an idea of what your skin actually needs and what ingredients serve that purpose. Yeah, absolutely, Rachel. And interestingly, you know, that whole, I, I mentioned it before, where it says dermatology tested. That means oh, nothing yeah. to me anymore. It means nothing. <laughs> it means nothing. Like yeah. you could literally give a product to a dermatologist who has completely different skin than you and say, like for me as a formulator, at least here in the United States, I know in the UK and Europe, the rules are a lot more stringent, but here in the United States, I could create a product and give it to a friend of mine who happens to be a dermatologist and say, here, test this and let me know if you have any reaction. And they'll test it and they'll say, nope, no reaction. And I could literally say dermatologist tested. So scary, isn't it? (laughs) That doesn't mean that any actual lab testing or toxicology or dermal toxicity or or dermal um, uh, corrosive tests are being done on it. There's a lot of miscommunication. So anytime, I I will advise people, anytime you see a product that's like, you know, dermatology tested, allergy tested, hypoallergenic, tested by this, it's usually not true. (laughs) Or it's usually not as rigorous as you expect it to be. Right. So, so Rachel, in the early stages of TSW, which you'll be really familiar with, you know, you kind of get that really intense burning, itching, there's edema, it's oozing, you know, that a real awful state, um, which can go on for months um, and then yeah. reoccur as flares. Generally, the community goes to NMT, so uh, moisture withdrawal therapy, so not getting any water on yourself, not using any creams, or they use a little bit of zinc cream on some oozy patches. What are your thoughts on this approach? And would you recommend anything different at all for such compromised skin? All right, so I'll preface it again by just saying that everyone's TSW experience is different. So that might be a therapy that works for some people, 
But in my experience, I actually find that to be more effective for people who have other dry barrier kind of compromised skin issues. But I really, I really get concerned about the dehydration factor with TSW because you need both water and oil for the skin's barrier to function. And the reason why the skin's barrier is not functioning is not always topical. Even though the topical steroids might have been the initial cause, topical steroids have a systemic effect. Okay, so if we are depleting or denying the skin from uh, of hydration and or protection from a lipid, from an oil or a fat, then the theory obviously is that eventually the skin will reset itself and the lipid levels will return and the cell turnover rate will regulate and then it'll be able to maintain its own hydration. That's a big if. And while that might be logical and it might be fine for people who perhaps don't live life, like what happens if you go to work? What happens if you have children and you have to be picking them up and putting them down and chasing them around? The friction from your clothing, touching your skin, just from moving around. It's not like you can just lay in one position and allow your skin to heal. It's going to consistently be irritated and bothered and have friction happen and there's no protection. So that actual reset that's supposed to happen does not always happen because of that. So I really have not found that to be effective in my practice. It's not something that I recommend. Um, I do think that it, it, there's logic behind it, but not in this scenario, in, in my experience. Um, and like I said, maybe it works for some people who perhaps have a more sedentary lifestyle and they're able to basically sit still for most of their life and, you know, or perhaps they can, they don't work out in the public where it would be okay for them to be wrapped with gauze bandages to protect the skin and prevent that friction from clothing. But that's not reality for most people. And I, I think that if they try something like that and it makes things worse, um, it can really be even more stressful because now you're in more physical pain. Then you've tried something that the community is saying should work, but it hasn't. Then the thoughts of, well, what's wrong with me? Will I ever get better? Nothing will work start to happen. So these are instances where I really feel like somebody who understands how the skin works <laughs> can be, can be quite helpful on, on your side. And, in order for any skin cells to function, they need hydration. You've got to have water and you've got to then keep that moisture in there. And in order for that to happen, there have to be lipids, fats, mm -hmm. oils. So typically, you know, I will have some sort of humectant layer for someone or something like an aloe vera gel if, if they, as long as they don't have an allergy to it, that they'll apply first after they cleanse, either not cleanse with an aggressive cleanser. Many of my uh, TSW clients 
have benefit with just cleansing with honey mm -hmm. or just, you know, taking a very brief shower, just splashing room temperature water on their skin very gently and just, you know, in the shower or in the bath, just, you know, cleaning the, the uh, parts that need to be cleaned, but kind of leaving everything else alone. And then you just very gently pat the skin, not dry. You still want it damp and then kind of apply that aloe vera gel, or I might suggest something else like a compress of um, some sort of a flower water or perhaps an herbal tea if that's appropriate. And then they might pat on a very gentle and very lightweight oil on top of that, just to kind of keep that in there. And then I usually will give them um, a, some sort of a spray that they can have with them to just spritz on throughout the day when they start to feel heat coming to the skin, something usually an herb that has cooling properties. Um, and then we just talk about different ways to protect the skin, whether it is some sort of a hand product. I do like zinc for most uh, people. Some people don't tolerate it, just like any other ingredient, zinc's not for everyone, but Overall, I do find that when there are open sores or oozing or cracked skin, the zinc can be very helpful in soothing that and helping to support the healing process. Um, so that is sometimes something that I might recommend. But um, I, when it comes to the lipids that I suggest, they're usually plant-based as long as the person doesn't have an allergy. It's very rare that I would suggest something that has mineral oil or white petrolatum in it because all those do is they just lie on the surface. They don't bring any nutrients into the skin. And if there's already active inflammation or irritation on the surface, all it does is push that further in, which is why many people who will apply ointments um, that have that white petrolatum or like a mineral oil in it will experience more burning and irritation. And not necessarily get better. So I like to find something that does bring some sort of nutrition into the skin and also just doesn't lay so heavy that it never absorbs. There's, you know, a lot of different things that we can try. So um, I like to just kind of go very slow with that, but I, the, the um, withholding the moisture completely, I just, have not seen benefit in my practice there is so much in that that i'm so excited to hear um and I, so i'm gonna unpick some of it and maybe you can just talk me through some of the examples there um sure I, and completely you know for myself i found nmt so painful i think i only managed it for two days and then you know mm. could, couldn't continue i'm not surprised it's hard yeah and and you know but like just to touch on one, one of the pieces that's around paraffin based moisturizers which kind of dermatologists in the UK and I'm not sure about you know the states really turn to quite quickly in, in like a, that really thick thick layer I found it really irritating and a lot of people find the same in TSW that it makes you really hot and then super itchy and then you scratch and do a lot of damage why is that what's happening there why is it creating so much heat and irritation so it's very similar to what I just described with the white petrolatum because paraffin wax, it is a petrochemical as well. Um, it's a wax, so it's definitely a little bit thicker, stays on the skin longer. It's basically like if you were to imagine, like your skin's already feeling really hot. 
and really sensitive and irritated and itchy. And imagine it's a hot day and you were to just put like a trash bag suit on. So you have heat on the inside and then you have heat that's being trapped in by the trash bag, which makes things worse. That's essentially what that paraffin wax is doing in that case. So simple, but makes so much sense. You're absolutely, your body is trying to get rid of heat, right? And then suddenly yeah. you've trapped it in. Inflammation is heat. It has to be released. Now, it depending on a person's constitution, you know, obviously these treatments work for some people, otherwise they wouldn't be doing them. Or they work for a time being for some people. So again, I'm not going to say that it doesn't work for anyone with TSW. But it has not been in my experience with working with TSW clients. And, and you mentioned a couple of different things there. So you mentioned like a herb, flower, water. What are they? Tell, tell me a little bit about that. So I love using plants. Plants just provide nutrients to the skin in a way that's very gentle. When used appropriately, I'm not talking about essential oils, which are super concentrated. I'm not talking about like actives or concentrated botanical extracts. I'm talking about something very, very subtle, like as simple as an herbal tea that you would just take a cloth and use as a compress. And what that does is it brings you the vitamins from the tea that can be very skin soothing and also can help to nutri the nutrients can help to support those cellular functions and that healing, depending on the herb that you're using. And again, I have to always say, I really like to know if someone has allergies before I start re recommending herbs, because even something as gentle as calendula, which calendula is a wonderful, wonderful plant for people who have any type of inflammation, any type of need for wound healing, because it is something that supports collagen production, which is so important for helping the skin rebuild itself, but it is in a family of plants that some people are allergic to. So as long as that allergy is not there, then the plant would be appropriate. Um, another one that I like is rose. I might make a tea out of rose petals or rose hips because rose has gentle cooling properties, gentle astringent properties, which can kind of help to... Um, tighten up the blood vessels and in a way that's not artificial, but it helps to kind of soothe that inflammation. Um, I, I always use this example. If you think of rosacea, and I know rosacea is not the same as TSW, but you think of the redness that comes with rosacea. Well, rose is actually in the family rosaceae. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. rosacea, rosaceae, redness, the, ro the red rose calms the redness. And that's something that, you know, happens a lot in nature where the appearance of the plant gives us a clue as to what it can be beneficial for. So sometimes a, compre a compress with just making a tea out of rose petals, let it cool to room temperature, soak like a muslin cloth or like an unbleached cotton cloth and just apply it for five minutes at a time to the areas that are really irritated. And then perhaps put something like a jojoba oil on top, just very gently pat it in. You're not, you don't want to be rubbing. You never want to be introducing friction to the area. Other types of flower waters that can be beneficial aside from herbal teas would be called hydrosols or hydrolaps. 
And these are, um, this is a byproduct of the process that's used to create steam distilled essential oils, which is where you would take a significant amount of plant matter and you put it into a still, usually a copper still or a glass still. And then it, you actually distill the plant and you, the water carries, the steam carries the nutrients from the plant and then it condenses and part of it becomes the essential oil and the part that condenses becomes the hydrosol. So it's a water, it's the condensed steam, but that steam carries the properties of the plant, many of the properties of the plant, not all of them. So you're getting some beautiful nutrients from the plant, but, and you're also getting the aromatics because they, the steam distillation does separate out the aromatic compounds. And as, as long as the person is not allergic to those aromatic compounds, it's fine. But um, the aromatic properties can also be very helpful. Like a good rose hydrosol can be very mentally, emotionally uplifting. And the hydrosol itself has very cooling properties, soothing properties, and can also help with the redness and the, and the inflammation. So those are two things that I like to recommend. And then I always just like to choose an oil that is lightweight, that's not going to absorb too quickly because we want to keep it on the skin long enough to start to establish that moisture, but then it will absorb so that it's your, the skin's getting the nutrient. And again, it's not like that trash bag occlusive feeling. It's not like being under a bunch of wet blankets. So that way the skin is still able to respire, to release heat, but also it, it, it's a way to help to, to very slowly kind of recuperate the skin. Mm, fascinating. Fascinating. I didn't know anything at all about hydrosols. That's really interesting. Are there specific brands? And okay, we, we might not be able to get them in the UK, but any ones that you particularly like that we can flag for our, our US listeners? Mm. I, it's hard. Um, for hydrosols, I would say that if you know someone who is an herbalist who makes essential oils, who has a dis who does distilling, I, I really like to encourage people to support small farmers because they're really going to be looking at the quality. They're really going to be focusing on the quality of the plant. And anytime that we're looking at mass production, we tend to lose that quality whenever the focus becomes quantity. And we also tend to lose the freshness. We really want the freshness of the, of the extract of the hydrosol. So I would encourage people to search for local organic herb farm, local organic essential oil distiller um, in their area. I know that, you know, there, there are many in Europe, a lot of essential oils do come out of Europe. There are a lot in France. There's a lot in England. Um, English roses and lavender especially are known to be very therapeutic species, the ones that grow endemic there. So I would imagine that in the UK and in Europe, you will have a lot of options for that. Um, I think there's this one online supplier and you can check this. I might have this wrong. I think it's called Aromantic. 
Okay. Um, and I'm not sure if it's, I'm not sure if it's- I love, I love that name or, though, if that is right. Yeah, it's a great name, isn't it? <laughs> I believe they sell essential oils. I don't know if they also sell hydrosols, but it is logical that anyone who produces essential oils will also have hydrosols because okay. that is where you get it from the same process as long as it's a steam distilled essential oil. And there is, I love hydrosols because like for me, I, I don't use essential oils at all with my TSW people. They're far too concentrated, far too much opportunity. It's going to go right in because the skin barrier is not even there. Um, so it's a way to get some of the benefits from the essential oil, but in a safer way. So that's, that's why I really like hydrosols. So it's hydrosol, but also the word hydrolat, H-Y-D-R-O-L-A-T, is something that might also be used. Amazing. Okay, I will link to those in the show notes so that people can access them. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you, Rachel. And then when you think about like the latter stages of TSW, so the inflammation is starting to subside. Often the skin starts making tiny, smaller flakes, but it still has, Mm -hmm. you know, it's still very sensitive. Um, What would you be your recommendations for skincare then, such as moisturizer or a cleanser? Or would it be very similar to kind of what you've recommended to start with in the earlier stages? It's usually pretty similar. I don't really like to introduce complete products that have a lot of other ingredients like emulsifiers, like preservatives that could potentially irritate the skin um, until we're really not seeing any more edema or redness. And I mean, flakes don't bother me so much as long as there's Mm -hmm. no redness. But if we're still seeing redness, if we're still experiencing any of like the sores or or anything like that even periodically I'm still very very cautious um I really prefer that people try to look for products that don't contain a lot of ingredients even natural products that contain many many ingredients very complicated oil blends or very complicated herbal blends again it could trigger a flare and you won't know what ingredient is triggering that flare. So I really encourage people to look for ingredients, ingredient lists that have as few ingredients as possible and that you know what they are. And sometimes it's not appropriate to use a cream or a lotion because whenever you have a cream or a lotion, you have to have an emulsifier and you have to have a preservative. Anytime the product has water in it, it has to have a preservative. Otherwise it will grow bacteria, mold and yeast. And we certainly don't want to be putting that on compromised skin. So many people will continue to do things like the herbal compresses or spritzing the hydrosols and then applying something like maybe a more saturated oil blend or perhaps something that's like a body butter that is made with things like maybe shea butter or cocoa butter or um, even like a blend of those butters and an oil so that it's not as thick. Um, And there are a lot of skincare formulators, herbal skincare formulators, artisans or formulators who like to work with oils and butters in that way to create products because they don't require preservatives. They don't require a lot of other added functional ingredients to hold the product together. So those formulations tend to be a lot simpler. And that way, you know, if a person has tried those ingredients individually, if we've said, okay, 
you've been using jojoba oil for a while and it doesn't cause a flare, so we can safely say that that works for you. Why don't we try a little bit of shea butter and see how your skin does with that? Maybe we'll patch test that for a little while. So then if that works, then we can say, okay, well, shea butter and jojoba oil work well for you. So let's try to find a product that those are the first two ingredients. And that's just kind of an example. I really like to go very, very slowly with people. And I am not opposed to giving people kind of a recipe for a DIY blend based on whichever oils they happen to be tolerating at that time. So if I have someone who wants a little bit more protection than just applying a little bit of jojoba oil, then, you know, I might have them try the shea butter or have them try a cocoa butter or something that's a little bit thicker. And then I might give them a recipe for what proportions to mix those together to create more of like a cream-like consistency or a body butter-like consistency. And, you know, as if they live in a colder climate or a drier climate where it's winter time, they might need something thicker like that. But then if the weather gets warmer, more humid, they're holding more heat, then they might go back to just that jojoba oil because it's lighter weight and it's not going to trap that heat in. Fascinating. That's so interesting. And and Rachel, when you talk about patch testing, well, not patch testing, but when you yes. say sort of trying a product for a while, how long would you give it before you could say, actually, I would this say, is irritating? Yeah, it's a good idea to try it on kind of the inside of your arm because the skin there is some of the most sensitive skin on the body. So if it's going to be a problem, it will show up there. So I would say typically within two to three days, you'll know if there, if, if it's an allergy, you'll know very quickly, usually within, you know, the first 24 hours, but allergic reactions can still happen a couple of days after. Um, but if you were to apply something like a shea butter or anything really to the inside of the arm and you notice redness, you notice itching, you get a rash, um, you feel burning, or it just sits on the surface and it doesn't seem to be absorbing at all then that those are clues that tell us that okay this is maybe not the right ingredient for you mm. so that is how i would patch test really anything whether it's an herbal tea compress or an oil um just to make sure that the skin is tolerating it and then you know if someone does have open sores anywhere we just want to be very very careful with that and i usually will recommend covering it with something like a gauze instead of relying on a product. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Um, and I missed this question, but I'm just going to go back to it because I think it's really important. I think we lightly touched on it. But are there ingredients that fundamentally with TSW skin, you should just absolutely no way touch? 100% avoid fragrances. Now, it's tricky because in Europe, and I, be and I believe the UK, I think they're allowed to use the word fragrance on labels, and it can sometimes mean that it's natural. The problem is you're not going to know because those manufacturers don't have to disclose to you exactly what's in those fragrance blends. They're protected by trade secret law. Here in the United States, you're not, um, anytime the word fragrance is used, or parfum, P-A-R-F-U-M, which is French for, for perfume, that will always indicate that it is synthetic. Even if it says natural fragrance or natural parfum, it will still be something that might have some natural origin, but it's going to have synthetic versions of those fragrance compounds. And fragrance compounds are 
some of the most irritant and allergenic ingredients that we know of for the skin, the eyes, and the respiratory tract. And even though they occur in very small amounts, they tend to build up in the body. They are endocrine-disrupting chemicals, and they can have a very adverse effect on one's overall health and also contribute topically to skin irritation. I would also really encourage people to avoid anything that is a foaming cleanser or anything with granular exfoliants. I know it can be really tempting to kind of scrub off those flakes. You can't do that because it's going to add more irritation, add more friction and really perpetuate that inflammation. So I really um, encourage people to avoid that. And with the foaming cleansers, what those foaming ingredients do, they're called surfactants. Their job is to literally separate the moisture, like the oils from the skin and wash it away. So it's like you start to recover a little bit of those oils, right? And then those surfactants just will wash it away. And all that work you've done is just washed away. So I would really encourage you to avoid foaming cleansers. Um, this is hard because I know we're still dealing with the pandemic, but hand sanitizers can be extremely irritant. Um, the amount of alcohol that's needed in hand sanitizers to be effective is something that after repeated use can be very, very irritating. And it also negatively affects the skin's microbiome because it's killing microbes, all the good, not just the bad ones, it's killing the good ones too. It does not differentiate. Well, I would recommend some like very gentle hand cleansers. Um, there are some surfactants that are a little bit safer and less irritant without going into like the chemistry terms of it, um, just a couple of those ingredients that you might look for on a label would be cocoa glucose, decal glucoside. Um, those are a little bit less irritant, but avoid sodium lauryl sulfate, sodium lauryl sulfate, ammonium lauryl sulfate, ammonium lauryl sulfate. Those are your strongest, harshest foaming agents. And as much as I would love to encourage people to use natural things like black soap, from Africa or Castile soap, the pH is too high for people who have such compromised skin. So that's something that also would really have to wait. So you've got to be very careful with your hand cleansers. And I would say um, it would be a good idea if you find one that has those very, very mild foaming agents in it to like carry a travel size in your purse with you so that when you're using public restrooms, when you're out and about, that you have your own cleanser and you're not relying on those commercial industrial ones because those are going to be the strongest ones. Um, you want to avoid any antibacterial agents because again, it's going to negatively affect the microbiome, which is trying to help your skin heal. Great. That was amazing. Thank you, Rachel. So um, I guess we see a lot of magnesium and Epsom salt baths used by the community a lot. Um, for me, myself, it kind of seems to make water a little bit more tolerable. Uh, what are your thoughts on this and its use in avoiding infection? That's actually something that I am a believer in and that I support because magnesium is something that has very soothing and relaxing effects on the skin. The skin also does require minerals in order for other nutrients to be effective. So it's something that can 
physically relax us, emotionally relax us, but it also is topically very soothing and nourishing to the skin. And the salts themselves do have a natural antimicrobial property about them, but it's in a way that is not going to be all that disruptive to the microbiome because it is also delivering those minerals, which can be nutritious to the skin's microbiome. So um, I will say that magnesium chloride is the type of magnesium that is better absorbed by the skin. So if we're using a magnesium salt bath or we're using a magnesium oil, which uh, magnesium is actually not oil soluble, it's water soluble, but when you mix mag when you dissolve magnesium salt in water, it actually feels like an oil. Magnesium chloride would be the one that would be more effective, but typically what you will see on the market is going to be magnesium sulfate. Um, that's what Epsom salts are. That's okay. There's nothing bad about it. But um, I would say if you can find magnesium chloride for your salt baths, that might be more effective. Mm, fascinating. Epic tip. Okay, thank you. Um, and then I, I think another big question that we've had from the community is as we come into summer, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere now, um, we're a little bit cautious about what sunscreen to use if our skin's got to the stage that we're ready to go outside. Is there anything sure. that we should think about in selecting a product? Absolutely. Really look for zinc oxide to be the active sunscreen ingredient. Don't go for any of the synthetic chemical sunscreen absorbing sunscreen ingredients because those can be very skin irritant. Many of them have also been linked to toxicity. Um, they can also be contaminated with other chemicals. I don't know if you guys have seen uh, that some of the, the mass-produced sunscreens have been recalled because of benzene contamination, which is very toxic. You're not going to find that with your zinc oxide-based sunscreens. So there are a lot of um, sunscreen products that are very, very simple, which are basically a bunch of plant-based oils, zinc oxide, maybe a couple of butters. And I do realize that not everybody likes that kind of white opaque look that you get from a zinc oxide based sunscreen. There are some of them that have um, formulated them in a way to be a little bit less opaque, but honestly, I think that uh, we also need to kind of not worry about that part of it as much because the protection is what's more important. And the zinc, as we talked about, is also going to be very supportive to the skin as it continues to heal. So um, I do like, there are two things that I recommend. Madesafe.org is an organization that I work with. I serve on their advisory board and they have a list of some products that I know are available. Some of them internationally, they do have some sunscreens that they recommend that they've screened for toxicity. And then uh, the Environmental Working Group does put out a safe sunscreen list every year, usually uh, late May or June. So it should be out soon for 2022. And many of those products are also available internationally. So just make sure you're checking the list, the ingredient list for to avoid fragrance. We don't want any fragrance. If it smells like coconut, like, you know, some of those sunscreens, that's probably not really coconut, um, probably a fragrance. So you want fragrance free as few ingredients as possible. And of course, if there's something that you know you're allergic to, um, like if you're allergic to ragweed, if you're allergic to certain seasonal plants, then you want to read the ingredient list and just do a little Google search and be like, is this plant part of this family? And if it is, maybe avoid it. Um, the other thing I want to suggest is UPF clothing and hats. So UPF is a type, it's a, sun protective factor that's in fabric. 
that it's, you're not putting any product on your body. You're basically wearing very lightweight, but sun protective fabric. They have hats, they have, you know, attire, clothing, they have swimwear, where you're relying on just the fabric to protect you from the sun's rays. And for people who are still a little bit sensitive, that can maybe be a little bit more beneficial than trying to find a sunscreen to put on. So um, really focusing on physical protection from hats and clothing can be very helpful too. Amazing. Great, great tip there. And thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, because I think people are struggling at the moment. So awesome tips. And I'll link to those two organizations as well in the show notes. Great. So if listeners would like to connect with you, Rachel, where can they do that? And where can they access your resources around um, safe, different skincares? Absolutely. My website is createyourskincare.com. And I do offer private consultations. So um, there's a tab on my website where people can book that session. We can work together virtually over Zoom. And, um, you know, we'll just find a time zone that works. <laughs> I have my automatic scheduling on there. And then I do have online courses for people who might be interested in learning to make their own skincare products on that website. And then I'm also on social media. My Instagram is at Rachel Pontillo, it's R-A-C-H-A-E-L-P-O-N-T-I-L-L-O. Share a lot of tips there. Um, and also on createyourskincare.com, we have a blog that has hundreds and hundreds of posts that are all about just healthy skin, formulation, healthy skin lifestyle, anything that is really about supporting healthy skin. So there's a lot of information there. And then also, if you are listening and you happen to be a skincare or wellness practitioner, check out skinwellnesspro.com for our certified nutritional aesthetics practitioner training program. And we also have a membership program and a blog that also has hundreds of articles that would serve as resources for anything supporting healthy skin in an integrative fashion. Fantastic. Oh, my goodness. Exciting. Thank you so much for your time, Rachel. I really appreciate it. I just also want to end by saying you have the most beautiful skin I think I've ever seen. Oh, it is so radiant. <laughs> well, it's been a journey to get here and it, it continues to be a journey. And it, that's, skin is a lifelong journey, just like anything else. So we have to be very patient with ourselves and we have to be willing to make adjustments when things do change. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time um, and your expertise. Well, thank you so much.